Welcome back to Run Through Presents Gone Running. It is Ben Shepherd here, and today I have got a slightly different conversation for you. Normal service will resume next week, and by the way, I have got a massive guest for you next week, so make sure you are subscribed wherever you are listening to the podcast. Today, though, I am going to play you a conversation I had as part of a YouTube series that we're making on Run Through TV called Project PB. Over the past 16 weeks, I've been documenting my journey towards what I hope is going to be a marathon PB at the Loch Ness Marathon in under three weeks' time. Now, physically, I am in a very good place. Mentally, you know you need to be in a good place as well to run a marathon. So I had this conversation with Dr. Josephine Perry. I've personally taken so much from it and I think you are going to as well. So that's why I wanted to share it with you on Run Through Presents Gone Running. And by the way, if you do want to go and check out all of the episodes of Project PB, I've put a link in the description of this podcast that will take you to the playlist. Seven episodes and we've got a couple more to go as well. Next week, I'll be debriefing my full training block before then summing up how the race went. So I hope you enjoy this conversation on Run Through Presents Gone Running with Dr. Josephine Perry. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist. I tend to work mainly with individual athletes in running, cycling, triathlon, swimming, fencing, and lots of tennis athletes too. Um, and then sometimes people that are just trying to get back into sport and are kind of, they lost the love for it a while ago and we're trying to figure out how we re-motivate them back into it. Before we get into my story, what kind of led you in this direction? How did you travel down this path? Uh, so, so I always talk about my grown-up jobs that I had beforehand. Uh, <laughs> I worked in the city as a communications director until 2013 and I was doing lots of Ironman racing at the time and we went over to Melbourne to do Melbourne Ironman and you start on the beach in a place called Frankston and I'd done all my training in London swimming pools that are like 20 metres long and nicely chlorinated and very flat. And I stood on this beach going, oh my goodness, the waves were horrific. I was terrified. And the guy on the tannoy said, right guys, you can't control those waves, but you can control how you feel about them. And it was like a light bulb went off of just like, oh yeah. And I have no sporting ability whatsoever. <laughs> but I have an okay brain. And it was kind of a, a realization that, oh, if I used my brain a bit more, maybe I could do better at this sports stuff. Um, so we did the race. It was my fastest Ironman to date, probably ever, because I can't see me doing another one. Um, and it really led me into thinking about how can we use our brains differently and start to see things differently to perform better. Um, and I got so interested, I quit my job. I went back to university to do a psychology degree. I did a master's in sports psychology. And then you have to do three years of training. Um, but I'm now here and I'm fully qualified and I run a kind of a full-time practice just seeing athletes. And how, how does it work in terms of each individual athlete? Because obviously 
every single person has a different story and every single road is a different road traveled yeah. how do you kind of go about tailoring how each of them individually uh need like need you need 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 your kind of perspective so a lot of it is about really spending time getting to know the athlete um but there are absolute telltale elements that I find in individual sport will make a huge impact on an athlete and two that come up time and time again are high intelligence and perfectionism so I call athletes with that VIPs very intelligent perfectionists and I see a huge amount of that group because I specialize in performance anxiety so if you're highly intelligent you're very very good at being able to predict what might happen but you over predict and you go down all these rabbit holes of all the disastrous things that could possibly happen to you and your brain starts to panic a bit and if you're very perfectionistic you tend to tie up how well you do say in a race with how valuable you are as a person and if you can't do well or you you're worried that you might not be able to be perfect and no one is ever perfect then your brain is very loud at shouting at you that maybe don't try find an excuse, find a reason, find a way to stay in your comfort zone so you don't risk failing yourself or the judgment you fear that might come from others. Um, so there are some very specific characteristics that tend to pop up and have a very similar impact on athletes and how they feel about the event that they're about to go into. The other group I tend to work with are those who are very much not perfectionistic. Hands up, I am one of those. <laughs> where... Our brains, especially if we're quite intelligent, our brains are kind of pointing out that pushing yourself really hard in a race is not particularly a good idea. I mean, it'll get us our goal, but it's not the healthiest thing to do. And a lot of the training we do, if we're, if we're really taking our sport seriously, you probably want to do three or four hours of exercise a week, completely mixed up between kind of strength and core and cardio. And that's not what most of us are doing. As runners we're probably doing quite a bit more which our brain's going you don't have to do this you're, you're yeah. quite healthy without it why would you try um so you get kind of a laziness that can creep in and that doesn't help you meet your goals either so there's some of those very specific traits particularly around perfectionism that can have a real impact on our performance and for you personally obviously seeing all these athletes and spending time with them what does it feel like when you know a breakthrough is made and maybe a race goal is achieved for you personally that must feel quite special it totally does and i'll often do a little kind of dance around the house when i get a message from somebody saying i made it i did it and you can you just feel how proud they are of themselves and that is totally awesome but i think the other element of of being a sports psychologist is actually sometimes people aren't going to reach their goals um, and they might not reach their potential in sport and and that's sometimes okay and it might well be that life has got in the way or that particularly injury has come about and that injury has kind of put a full stop to what they're doing so sometimes actually it's very satisfying if you can help somebody move on from what they do and find something else that they love instead um, and be okay with that it's not just about the big wins and the high fives when you hit your goals it's actually about learning to be much more comfortable much more proud of yourself um 
a much more self-awareness of how how you work and what matters to you. I presume one of those times isn't just injury or not achieving maybe where you thought you were going to get to, but retirement as well must be a big a big time that people kind of struggle to to move on when it comes to like that being their life and now having to down tools and go and do something else. Is that yeah. something you see? Yeah, so there was a piece of research the BBC did a couple of years ago where they found that about 50% of elite athletes um, suffered from depression on retirement because for them that's all they've done from the age of about five or six and that's who they are and they introduce themselves, I'm a football player, I'm a tennis player and then suddenly you're not. That is a big hit on your identity. So we really try and help athletes before they get to that place, really understand all their other identities and all the other things they're good at. And similarly, even if you've been an amateur, it still matters to you. You've still invested loads and loads of time in it and it's part of who you are and it's part of your social life. We get a big sense of belonging. It's one of the things I love about going to run three races. It's the people that are catching up that have seen each other at the races week after week. There's this sense of like, we are a community. We're all here together. Every time I go to a race, I know I will bump into somebody I know. And I love that feeling. And to to get some kind of injury or realise you can't do this anymore and like you're shutting a big door that used to be super important to you, that needs handling really well. What is the difference you find between the professional athlete and the, let's say, quote-unquote, everyday runner? I don't tend to see actually much difference. Maybe a bit with, um, of motivation. The everyday runner needs to be intrinsically motivated. We need to go for a run because we love the feeling of the run or we love the feeling of being fit and healthy and active. An elite athlete, professional athlete, needs to go for a run because it's their training in order to win medals, keep their sponsorship, stay on funding. So there's a very different motivation that comes there. But actually, I see a lot of amateurs that have an elite mindset. They have that mindset, particularly if they're perfectionistic. I must do everything possible to be the best possible athlete. Um... And, and they will work just as hard as the elites. The problem is you tend to get more injuries because you haven't got the time to recover in a way that an elite athlete has. An elite athlete, a lot of their job is about recovery and rest. And amateurs cannot do as much because they haven't got the time to rest and recover because they've got jobs and family life and lots of other responsibilities. But, but often you can have a very similar mindset. That's quite a hard thing to accept that though, isn't it? Especially for, for an amateur that may be trying to hit a specific goal or target a specific time the fact that actually sometimes it might not physically be doable because there are other kind of elements to your life that maybe a professional athlete doesn't have yeah i heard a nice um, piece of research that for every extra hour that you train you need an extra hour sleep that week oh, and God. so it's not just <laughs> It's a scary one, right? It's not just upping your training. If you go from five hours a week to 10 hours a week training, you need to try and find almost an extra hour per sleep per night to 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 help your body deal with what it's dealing with and to get the recovery that it needs. So we can't just throw extra training into the mix without actively thinking about how does this fit in the rest of our lives. However, 
if you're actually very highly perfectionistic and you tend to get lots of things like performance anxiety, having another identity, i.e. I also work doing X, Y or Z, or I'm also a mum or a dad or a carer or other things, can be really helpful because it takes loads of the pressure off, I am just a runner. If you have a solo identity, that's super stressful. If you're just a runner and you don't run well, you've got nothing left and that feels awful. Whereas actually, if you're a runner, but you also do X, Y and Z, well, you have a bad race, you've got a self-excuse for why you haven't done so well, but it also doesn't matter so much because you haven't got an identity that's about to be crushed. I feel like there's no perfect situation, is there? No. Neither, neither side of the coin is perfect. No. And that perfection that you talk about, people do continually strive for that. And I think sometimes it's difficult to maybe accept that, you know, perfection is really kind of a thing that's sometimes made up and it's not really ever going to be there. It's not possible. So you're a perfectionist. You set, here's your bar. You're setting it of like, this is where I want to get to. You've either set it at perfection, in which case never going to happen, or you've set it lower. But as soon as you get close to it, the perfectionist mentality is you just raise the bar, right? So you were aiming for three hours for a marathon. You get three hours. You don't sit there and go, I am awesome. Let's retire on top. This is amazing. You go, right, now I need to get 255. Now I need 250. And so there's always going to be a gap between where you are and where you believe you should be. And that's where we tend to get some well-being issues. So we're beating ourselves up. We're starting to feel super anxious. We're not enjoying what we're doing. We're constantly telling ourselves it's not good enough. And we get really unhelpful self-talk with that. So perfectionism, it's a tricky one because it is helpful for pushing you to work super, super hard. Perfectionists don't need a coach to, to kick them into action and get them to do some work perfectionists need a coach to, to hold themselves back so they don't hurt themselves by doing too much um so there's a ton of self-motivation in there and they will do everything it takes but they might be a bit miserable sometimes because they're not able to celebrate the wins and the successes as they go along yeah i'm certainly um relating to a few things you say when it comes to that in the sense of you know always striving for the next thing or for me it was always distance or it always has been to this point distance and now kind of now it is time where i was going i want to do more miles or i want to do a longer race and you kind of never get that chance to kind of sit back and smell the roses and i think those wins and those completions and those goals should be celebrated how, how do you kind of go about helping somebody celebrate those goals and saying like these are sort of things that you should be tapping yourself on the back for um yeah so we will set goals but and we'll set like that outcome goal but outcome goals are often quite uncontrollable so i want to come top 10 in that marathon we've well, got no idea who else is going to show up and who else has been training so you might give it everything and come 11th, feel like a failure, but you've got a new P to B. So we, we like those outcome goals because they're motivating, but actually we really want to break them down into performance goals, like usually time-based. And then the real magic is when you break them down into process goals. So the process goals are the things that go into your training plan, um, i.e. a track session every week, or they're one-off things that will really help. Like I'm gonna go and see a nutritionist 
and really understand how to fuel my training better and fuel myself on race day. So you can either have the longer term regular things you do or one offs, but then you're celebrating each time you achieve one of those things. Um, for perfectionists, I often set them the goal of creating a to-do list. So perfectionists are brilliant at writing to-do lists, all the long things you have to tick off everything um, you need to do, but then forget to do the celebrating of those individual bits. So every day you get a jar and every day you have to put something you've achieved in that jar, something you're proud of, something that happened or you did well. And at the end of a year, you've got 365 pieces of evidence that you've done good stuff. And so you stop constantly like denigrating yourself. And instead you can be like, look at all the cool stuff I did. And it, it just builds up as a really nice visual reminder. I, I, I like the ta-da jar. You big, have to do it with jazz hands. Yeah, I know. I feel like you should come out with, you know, like when you were a kid and you used to go to the dentist and get a sticker. That's yep. what it needs to be. You should get a sticker. Sticker. I know it's difficult to kind of talk broadly when it comes to individual athletes, but a lot of people feel that anxiety when it comes to standing on a start line and having gone through a training block and then, you know, maybe start doubting themselves through the taper. What are some ways that maybe people can kind of go about navigating that? So I think before you go into the race day, you can do things like what if planning. So that, give yourself a sheet of paper, three columns. The first column are all your worries about the race. And whenever I do this with athletes, they always say, oh, this one sounds silly, but brilliant. That has to be on there. All the things we think sound silly, all the bigger things, anything we are worried about that kind of gives us that sinking tummy feeling, that needs to be on there. And we know from research within universities on exams, that simply writing things down that you're worried about gives people higher scores. So it has a really nice kind of psychological impact. Then your middle column next to each worry that you've got is what you're going to do to prevent it happening. And then the third column is if it happens, I will do this. So a fear might be I will run out of energy at 18 miles in the marathon. It's like, well, how am I going to prevent it happening? I'm going to see a nutritionist to learn how to fuel it properly. I'm going to make sure I fuel really well the week before, week of the race and the morning of the race. I'm going to practice with the gels that I want to use in advance and I'm going to have extra gels on me. If it runs out, um, I might have an emergency bit of nutrition in my back pocket. I might have looked at um, where the drink stations are on the course so that I can pick something up then. I might have my friend, a partner at mile 20 who can hand anything over that I feel like I would need. And then suddenly you're like, okay, I've handled kind of those big worries. So any time in the few weeks in the build-up that you start going, oh, what if? You're like, I've covered it. I've prepared for it and I've got a plan if it happens. So it takes loads of the stress out of it. I guess it's just taken away anything that is any possibility that pops into your head it's taken away as much of them as possible then to yeah. just have that one focus and that one goal yeah um and the other thing i think is super important to remember particularly the longer you go stuff is going to go wrong again no one has the perfect race 
So something will go wrong at some point. And if you expect it, we call it brace yourself, like on planes when you're supposed to put your head between your knees and wait for the bad thing. Um, kind of do, particularly when you get to like marathon distance, brace yourself because something will happen. You'll have a, you'll trip on something, you'll have a twinge, you'll feel sick for a little while, you'll feel like you can't do something. Someone will bash into you. Stuff will happen. And if you expect it, you can just roll with it. If you're expecting it all to go perfectly, it's going to throw you. So, so once you're in that mindset of, all right, something might happen, I've planned for as much as I can, but stuff always happens. It will make for a great story afterwards. I will roll with it. So that can be quite a helpful perspective on the start line. And when you get into the race itself, it used to be thought, I think something like 130 years ago when sports science began, that you would eat whatever you ate and the energy would go into your muscles and you would work hard and eventually the energy would have left your muscles and you couldn't do any extra. You, that was when you reached exhaustion. They now know that's not the case at all. The latest thinking on it is a socio-psychological biological approach, Ooh. which suggests, um, and they've done this through um, biopsies of muscles when runners say they've got to exhaustion. And they find there's still about 30% of the energy there when your body feels like can't do anything. So we know there is something else stopping us. It's not that muscles are empty or a very, very basic version, but it's not that we can't do it. It's that there is something stopping us and that's going to be our brain. So the, the way we override our brain telling our body to stop is thought we can do two things. So one is increase our motivation as much as possible and the other is reduce our perception of effort so we make it feel like what we're doing is easier so the motivation one is lovely particularly if somebody's doing their first of something there's often a lot of motivation with that i love it when people are racing for charity because there's a ton of motivation with that um but it will only take us so far so if i'm going to give you a million pounds to to reach your goal in your marathon unless you're a millionaire i imagine <laughs> that's going to be a pretty big incentive yeah, try my best <laughs> okay right but two million pounds is an offer isn't going to make that much difference it's kind of we max out our motivation at a certain point so when we've maxed out our motivation we need to reduce our perception of effort we need to make what we're doing feel easier and there are loads of tricks for that caffeine is a really good one if you are a good caffeine responder so some people have no response to caffeine other people it's really good for them so if you know it works for you absolutely use that there's a really lovely one which feels really silly but it's about smiling so they've done research that shows when you smile you reach exhaustion for longer takes you longer to reach exhaustion than people that don't smile on treadmills They've similarly done research on lab bikes where they've got cyclists and they flashed up pictures of people smiling or grimacing whilst they were training. And the people that saw the smiles got to exhaustion later than the people that saw grimaces. So if you're doing something like a marathon, smiling yourself helps, makes your body feel like it's a bit easier, but so does smiling at spectators because they smile back. And again, another thing I love about the run three races, when someone is standing on a corner with a tambourine, smiling and shouting at you, you can't help but pick it up. Yeah. 
You're not going to be sat there, are you? No, you can't. Um, So really use spectators in races because you smile at them, they'll smile back, you get that double boost from it. Other things that are good, the longer the race, the more you're going to use distraction. So um, especially if you've got big races, look out for the signs that people have by the side. I did London Marathon this year and I loved the ones that kept saying, you're running better than the, the government. Um, or um, pain is just uh, bread in French if it makes you smile brilliant but distract yourself if you find someone you're running next to for ages chat to them if they're up for it Um, all those things help make it easier and a big one the longer you go is chunk down your distances 26.2 miles is a long way even for like the ultra runners it's still a long way but eight and a bit park runs, you can do that. So you then, all right, for that version of park run, I'll do this, or for this bit, I'll do this. And I will have this goal for this section, and I'm gonna have my favorite bit of nutrition at this section. And it all feels a bit more doable. And you get to tick off each one, so you can feel how far you're moving forward. And for the whole thing, you're gonna be smiling. Yeah. So the really good mantra to use for it, smile every mile. Smile every Every time you go past a mile marker, have a grin and smile at somebody else and you get one back. (laughs) 